0: From Parkway Church in Karana, this is the Parkway Podcast. Our prayer is that this message blesses and encourages you today as you listen. If you would like to know more information on who we are as a church, you can visit our website, weareparkway.com. All
1: right, are we ready this morning? Somebody's awake with me? Somebody's ready to yell, not today, Satan? Now, those of you who thought you were too cool to do that, let's do it one more time, like we mean it. You ready? On the count of three? Not today, Satan, on the count of three? Those of you who are too cool, we're looking at you. <laughs> Everybody look around. <laughs> one, two, three. Not today, Not today Satan. It's good. Woo. Ephesians chapter 6, here's what it says. Verse 10 to 16, finally. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take a stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, and know this church, it will come for you. You may be able to stand your ground, and after you've done everything, to stand. Thank you, Lord, for this morning. Thank you that we can gather together, Lord, freely and worship you, God, and look to your word and hear from your spirit. And I pray that we would be receptive to the things you want to say to us this morning. Lord, I'm thankful that you've shown yourself and you've been stirring in our midst already. And I I believe that you're already at work and you're encouraging hearts and you're bringing rest to souls. But I pray today, Lord, as we look at this text that we would remember and recall what you've done for us on the cross. And as we take communion, God, near the end of this service, I pray, God, that we would find ourselves in full remembrance of the sacrifice you made and what it's done for us. We take up our helmet of salvation today in Jesus' name. We love you, Lord. Speak to us now. And everyone said. So we're in this series um, on this passage on the armor of God. And I was reflecting a little bit on this series. You know, as, as I sit down, as we sit down and we think about the different teachings that we're going to do over the next couple months and, and whatnot, there's a few different things that kind of come to mind and help guide that process. And Number one is there's teachings that we talk about just because the scriptures call us to teach the whole council. So we just, we just, we just talk about everything that's in here. Because even if we don't feel stirred towards a specific topic, the word of god's here and the spirit's already speaking and we're just going to talk about everything's in there some things we talk about correspond with the church calendar you know christmas is coming up we're going to start focusing and reflecting on the birth of our savior our lord jesus there's some things that we talk about and we kind of we feel the need to you know address because there's something in the house that maybe we need to talk about you know as a church we just need to hone in on something and then there's some series that that the Spirit kind of just puts in our hearts just for a, for a time, for a season that's just like a spotlight on it. And I can't say it any other way other than that. And this is one of those series where I just feel like the Holy Spirit, God has just said, you're going to talk about this and, and there's a reason for it. You know, Paul, the apostle, when he's writing to the church in Ephesus and he's talking about the different things that he's been talking about, and he's trying to make this this church. Um aware or, or, or get an alternate reading of reality, so to speak, that, that as people, they're called to live differently in this world. And he kind of comes to this last section and he kind of pulls back the curtain, the proverbial curtain, and says, look, that there's more to your struggles and to what's going on than meets the eye. And in the same way that Paul is doing that for the Ephesian church, I believe that God through this last few weeks and the weeks ahead is doing that for us. He's just he's just saying, pause and, and pull back the curtain and see that there's more going on than meets the eye. And so the struggles that you face on the daily basis and the battles that you fight and and the the valleys that you go through and those things where you seem to just be be torn or burdened, there's more behind that. There's spiritual realities and entities at work. And so it's not just for you to muster up the courage and the gunction to get through it, but there's actually a way in which God calls us to equip ourselves and to stand firm against these struggles. And so I think and I believe truly that the Holy Spirit has said, Parkway Church, you need to pause and you need to look. Actually, someone came to me a number of weeks ago and they said, hey, what are some things, what are you going to talk about? What's, what's the next topic? And so I said, well, you know, I got this one in mind first. And then I feel like we're going to go into talking about spiritual warfare, you know, our armor of God. And, and they said, yeah, I'm feeling the same thing. And that's a work of God, Right. So that's why we're here, we're looking at the ways in which we stand firm against our spiritual enemy, truth and righteousness and gospel peace and faith, and today we come to the helmet of salvation. Now I brought my helmet, this is in no way is the helmet of salvation unless you're about to get <laughs> kicked in the head. This is a, um, a helmet made of foam that is used in Taekwondo, and it's the only helmet I had, oh there's like an echo in my head now. <laughs> Doesn't fit well because it's made for a child, <laughs> but it functions. So I'm gonna, just gonna wear this for a while. <laughs> so, my boys I've mentioned are in Taekwondo, it's a martial art, and part of Taekwondo is, oh uh, my goodness, I look so goofy. I can see in the camera. <laughs> part, of, uh, part of Taekwondo is sparring, where you take the skills and the things you've learned and you partner up against someone and you. And you apply those skills, and you fight. And when I first told our boys, both nine and seven-year-olds, actually, I think when I told them this, they were probably more as eight, six, what sparring was. And I showed them this helmet. They said, what's that for? I'm like, well, it's to protect your head. Well, why do we need to protect our head? Because you're going to get kicked in the head. Like. Like, deer, like a deer caught in headlights. There was, a, there was an immediate fear that came over them. The other day, we went to, uh, to Taekwondo class, and it was sparring class. And they were a little he- hesitant, and I'm trying to encourage them in it. But there wasn't a lot of people there. I think there was only like six of us. And so naturally, they just got partnered up together, brothers, which is probably not a good idea. <laughs> now, the instructor, he, he tells the younger classes that you're not allowed to kick in the head. Just for safety's sake, but they're brothers, and you have you have the older brother that's probably about this tall, and then you have the younger brother who's maybe like a foot shorter than him. So naturally, it's, you know leg to head height is is perfectly aligned, and sure enough, no matter what the instructor said, all I see is I, I didn't ca- I didn't catch the full kick, but I did see the. The snap back of a back leg roundhouse kick, they snap it back, and my other son go. Now, in, in my oldest son's defense, I don't think he was meaning to kick him in the head. I think it just happened. And, and the, younger, the younger brother was a trooper, and he, he, he pulled away a little bit, so it kind of didn't really hit the head. It kind of caught his mouth a little bit. And the rest of the, the rest of the, I'll call it a fight, he's just covering his mouth. And I'm like, pull your arm down, pull your arm down. The helmet is necessary. I got to take this off. I got a huge echo in my my head. The helmet is necessary in sparring. The helmet is there for a reason. Out of all pieces of of armor that we're talking about in the armor of God, the helmet's probably the most familiar to us because we see helmets everywhere in everyday life. In football, you know, they wear a helmet, protects their noggin against brain injuries on on most occasions, I would say. You know, you see with bikers, they wear helmets. And did you know that the helmet for a biker isn't just to protect them, but it actually allows them to be a little bit more aerodynamic, gives them a smoother ride? I didn't know that. I'm like, that's cool. I like that. Soldiers today still wear helmets, and if you look at their helmets, they're an incredible piece of equipment. There's a lot of tactical gear on their helmet. They got night vision, they got lights, they got communication equipment. They even have identification written on their helmet. So should something happen to the soldier, they can identify them at a later time. We see helmets all around us, and in many cases, and for the Roman soldiers, helmets were not optional, they were essential. And just like in sparring, for, for people who, who are playing, playing taekwondo, you don't play taekwondo, but, but who are in taekwondo, it could be the difference between life and death. You get a kick to the noggin in the wrong way, that, that could cause some serious injury. For a soldier, for a Roman soldier, it was the difference between life and death. It was an essential piece of equipment. And in the same way, when Paul speaks of the helmet of salvation, it's not an optional piece of equipment. It's fundamental. It's paramount. And it is the difference between victory and defeat because of what it symbolizes. It is the difference between abundant life that Christ talked about. I've come that they may have life to the full and not. It's the difference between life and death. Now, the Roman helmet, we got a picture here for you, was a tough... Um, metal lined with uh, felt making the weight bearable. It had cheek guards. It had a flange at the back to protect the neck. And often the design and the markings, there's different helmets, and the design and the markings on the helmet um, helped differentiate between different ranks. And so if you were um, a, a Roman legionnaire, a soldier... You could could tell where your centurion was. You can tell where the officers were depending on the markings on their helmet. One of the most interesting pieces is the crest that you would see above the top. And in battle, you would be able to scan the field and immediately mark who was a part of your team. And the Holy Spirit just kind of hit me with that. Because salvation serves as a marker for you. And makes you stand out to the enemy. Not as a target. It's not a target for him necessarily. But it lets him know who it is that you belong to. When you have salvation upon your life, the enemy knows you belong to him. And it serves to remind us who it is that we belong to. Who lives in us and what he has in store for us. And earlier in his letter to the Ephesians, Paul said this, Ephesians chapter one, verse 13, and you were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with the seal, the promised Holy Spirit. Markers in the ancient world were reminders to the bearer and to others of belonging and allegiances you knew based on the type of mark who it is that you belong to or who they belong to or where their allegiances laid the devil according to john the book of revelation has a mark counterfeit mark john calls it the mark of the beast and let me tell you it's not so much a physical thing it's not a credit card It's not a barcode, it's not an implant. We have to recall that when we're looking at the book of Revelation, it's apocalyptic literature. And so a lot of it is not always literal. Caesar, around 95 AD, which is the time in which the book of Revelation was written, called all of his subjects to come and worship him once a year at the altar of Caesar. And when they did so, they would receive a certificate And that certificate would allow them to actually move around freely to purchase and live life. And if they did not have that certificate, they were more restricted. It was allegiance. So when John writes of the mark of the beast in Revelation chapter 13, this would have spoke volumes to the original hearers, because they would have known exactly what he meant by that based on what they were experiencing. So it's metaphorical imagery to who it is they belong to and where we put our allegiances, but it's the counterfeit mark of God. You know, I find so much in the church, especially the evangel- evangelical, evangelical. <laughs> I can't even say the word right now. I got a tongue twisted. The church, I'll just say, that, that we put so much emphasis on the mark of the beast as opposed to the mark of God. I hear more followers of Jesus talk about that mark and fear that mark and wonder if they got that mark. You don't have that mark if you have salvation, you're in Christ Jesus, just so you know. Then they do the mark of God because everything the enemy tries to do is counterfeit to God. But salvation is a mark, the true mark that you've been sealed by God for God, that you belong to him. When the day of evil comes that Paul talks about in Ephesians, whether that is for you today in your home or in your workplace, or that's a decade from now, whether that's like an internal mental struggle that no one else is privy to, or that's something physical that everyone can see. Paul says, we stand firm against the enemy on the day of evil with the helmet of salvation upon our heads. You've been marked by God. You belong to God. So as the enemy tries to make advancements against you, as he fires his fiery deadly arrows at you, and you try to extinguish them with, the, with your faith, and you have the breastplate of righteousness on right conduct, and you've, you've, you've equipped around yourself, you've fastened around yourself truth, first you gotta remember there's salvation upon you. I belong to God. I'm his. I'm a son of the most high. I'm a daughter of the most high. In the eyes of God, you are now royalty, and he protects his own. He says, you are mine. You see this belonging terminology peppered throughout Paul's letters in Romans chapter 1, verse 6. It says, we were called to belong to Christ. Romans eight verse nine says that we're not in the realm of the flesh, but we're in the realm of the spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in us, and if anyone does not have the Spirit of God, they do not belong to Christ. First Corinthians chapter 15 tells us, "We who belong to Christ will be made alive when He returns." Galatians chapter 5, verse 4 says, Those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its desires and passions. Colossians 2, verse 20 says, Since you've died with Christ to the elemental spirituals of the, or spiritual forces of this world, why, as though you still belong to the world, do you submit to its rules? Because of salvation, you belong to Christ. You no longer belong to the world. You no longer belong to your flesh. You no longer belong to yourself. You've been bought with a price. This is salvation. This is the work of God. Ephesians chapter 2, Paul earlier in this letter says, for it is by grace that you've been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. And in this spiritual battle for us, it is the difference between eternal life and death. It is the difference between victory and defeat today. Now, the helmet for the Roman soldier protected the head because the head was a kill shot. If you were able to strike a soldier in the head, it was death. So helmets were essential. They protect against stones and swords and projectiles and impact with the ground. Whatever was aimed at the head Soldiers knew one hit to the head could mean disaster. Our spiritual enemy is trying to get inside our heads. He's trying to get inside of our minds. That's why his most powerful weapon used against us is deception. It's lies. You see it in the beginning in the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve are given bliss. They're naked and they feel no shame, enjoying the sun. It's just glorious. They have access to everything. Basically, when you go online and you're on Expedia and you need a vacation and you're looking for something that looks just gorgeous, luscious, that was their life. And God says, you got one thing you can't do. Don't touch that tree over there. Because you touch that tree over there, you'll surely die. Now, he wasn't speaking physical death. He's speaking spiritual death. It's a separation. You got, you got all these other ones. You got this one over here. This is the tree of life. You eat from this tree, you're going to live forever. Really? Yeah. Just don't touch that one. Okay. And then you got this sneaky snake that comes along. What's he do? He doesn't go, let's go party and do bad stuff. <laughs> right? Let's go kill somebody else. He doesn't do that. Says he comes cunning, he comes crafty, and he says, hey, how's it going, man? It's going good. Awesome. This is a pretty nice place you got here. That's a good looking tree. Oh, we can't touch that one. Really, why? Well, if we touch that one and we eat from that, we're going to die. Uh, really? You think so? I don't think you're actually going to die. We won't? No. In fact, if, I think if you eat that, you're going to be just like him. Oh, really? It was a deceptive idea. He got into their heads. He got into their minds. And that's what he's trying to do. He's trying to get inside our minds. Because if he can get what we think, then that will dictate what we feel. And what we feel always dictates how we act. How important is it that we guard our minds against the enemy? He knows if he can deceive your mind, he'll get a foothold in your life, cause you to justify sin. How many times have you used reason to justify doing wrong? That's not that big of a deal. I'm not really hurting anyone. No one's really going to know anyway. What? It's a thought. He'll talk you out of taking faith steps that God's called you to take. Oh, don't do that. That's too risky. You need security in this life. But with the cross in mind, what God has done with me in mind, I protect myself against his deception. I stand firm in godliness and holiness, keeping my eyes on the cross, what it's done for me, what it does for me. I keep salvation, what Jesus did for salvation. I fix my eyes, as the scripture says, on him because my spiritual enemy will attack my mind again and again and again and again and again. I think this is why Paul elsewhere in Romans, he says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by what? The renewing of your mind. So let's talk about salvation. Salvation has three tenses. Past tense, present tense, and future tense, and this is not an English lesson. Ironically, that was not my strongest class. And now I talk for a living. In Jesus, I have been saved, I am being saved, and I will be saved. We stand firm against our spiritual enemy by declaring, I am saved when he tries to condemn you for your mistakes and your slip-ups and the sin, when he tries to accuse you of wrong and point to judgment, wait a second, I've been forgiven through grace. I'm reconciled to God. I've been adopted into his family by grace. When I confessed and repented of my sin, when I believed in my heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, I was marked with the Holy Spirit. I am saved. The thief on the cross was saved by grace when he turned to the Lord and made a confession of faith. Remember me, he said, when you enter paradise. It's a confession from the mouth and faith in the heart that enables you to say, I am saved. So I can stand before God, before the creator of all existence, holy Lord, freely because I've been covered by the blood of the lamb. So God looks at me and he no longer sees a sinner. He sees a saint, because I'm covered by what Jesus did. I am saved, but I can also say to my spiritual enemy, I am being saved. This is what we call sanctification. When the enemy tries to show us how we miss the mark of God's standard, well, you may be saved, but you're sure screwing up a lot. He tries to condemn us for how we fall short of God's commands. Wait a second, the Spirit is working in me. And day by day and year by year, each passing moment, he's making me more like Jesus. The Spirit indwelling me is cleansing me. There's a process going on in my soul, making me a fit place for God to dwell. The Spirit in me is using all circumstances to shape me and mold me to be more like Jesus. I am being made more like Jesus. But this part also requires something of me. There's a part of salvation, did you know, that requires something of you. Jesus said this. He said, if anyone would come after me, they must deny themselves, pick up their cross, and follow me. So there is a partnership with what Jesus did for me and is doing for me, and now my part in in it as I deny myself and live out the teachings of Jesus. Paul said it this way. He said, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling." Continue to exercise your salvation. Continue to grow stronger in your salvation. For it is God who works in you to will and act according to to the order to fulfill his good purpose. Apostle Peter said it this way. He said, therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, slander of every kind. Like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation. This is discipleship. Apprentices under Jesus are working to become more like Jesus. Those who have been saved are truly working to become more like Jesus. I would would state, although I'm not the judge, that someone's not truly saved if they're not working to become more like Jesus. This doesn't mean you won't make mistakes. This doesn't mean you won't slip up. Paul talked about this, one of my favorite texts. He's like, man, the things I want to do, I don't do. I want to do those things, and I just don't do them. The things I don't want to do, I do those things. I see at work in me two natures. There's this, this sinful nature still at work in me, but then there's this spirit at work in me as well. Paul talked about that. I am being saved. This is why that prayer that we pray, which is an important prayer, of confession of faith, that first moment of salvation isn't enough. Like some people, I've seen this on Facebook thrown around. Some people will say of the thief on the cross, well, all they did was make confession. Why is more required of me? Well, it's because you're not hanging on a cross and you're not going to be dead in six to 12 hours. That's why. Like if the thief got off the cross, miraculously, maybe they let him down, he would begin the work of sanctification, right? Right? To make him less prone to thievery. Yes, you've been saved, but don't go steal things now, dude. Right? Become more like Jesus. There's a process there. So is there more required of me? Absolutely. Do I need to abstain from certain things? Absolutely. Do I need to work on becoming more like Christ? Absolutely. Salvation requires something of me. I'm being saved by my sinful nature. But this is also the scandal, I think, of Grace. You ever talk to someone about their past, someone who's walked with Jesus for a long time and you hear about their past and you don't believe them? You know what I'm talking about? Someone starts talking about their time before Christ and you're like, there's no way, man. Because that's the scandal of grace because the longer you walk with Christ, the longer you are walking with him and journeying with him and doing this faith journey, the more you become like him, the less you become like your old self. And so the distance, the gap increases and people can no longer look at your story and be like, "There's no, no, that wasn't you. Thank God you can't see that anymore. That is evidence that God is working in me. You used to be like, what? Absolutely, no way. Thank God I don't look like that anymore. That doesn't represent me anymore. That's not who I was. It's part of my story. But you really can't picture that? No, I can't. Oh, that's cool. That means I'm being saved. I'm in this discipleship process. Salvation is making me more holy. And finally, I can say to my spiritual enemy, I will be saved. I'm going to invite the worship team. You guys can come. I will be saved. When the enemy tries to deceive us into believing that life struggles are going to be the death of us, this thing, it's going it's to mess you up. It's going to screw up everything. You're done. You did it, you're done. It's over for you. Your job, your lack of job, your day-to-day, that sin's going to overtake you. Wait a second, but I will be saved. I've been saved. I've been made right with God. I'm being saved. I am working on becoming more like Christ and I will be saved. A day will come, church. We forget this. A day will come when Jesus returns. And because I've Been saved and I've been marked and I belong to God, I will be freed from all sin once and for all, along with everyone who belongs to God. We are in the middle of the story. Like if we were watching the movie of life, of existence, we're still in the middle of the story. Like we look at the scriptures and yes, God's revelation is complete. There's no more that can be revealed to us beyond Christ. But we're still in the middle of the story. He has not yet returned, but he will return and usher in his eternal rule and reign, and he promises to eradicate all evil once and for all. Me and my son, we were driving on the way to church this morning. Me and Joshua he came with me early in the morning, eight o'clock in the morning. And just before we left, we said a prayer, and we were saying a bit of the Lord's prayer and that, kind of walking through that. And then out of nowhere, he says, I think Jesus is making a new earth. And I said, What? Says, I think, I think God's making a new earth. And then we talked about this very idea, absolutely his. The scriptures declare that history has an end goal. New heaven and new earth, where all injustice and all oppression and all evil and all violence and all terrorism and all disease and all the things we look at constantly and we think this is terrible. And oh, I don't want. You turn on the news and you get depressed. You see a situation happen in your family. You feel burdened. The promise at the end of time is that this will all be washed away and we'll make everything new. That is the the promise of when Jesus came. That's the invitation. I am making things new. I'm going to start with you. I'm going to start on the inside, because if I start on the outside, it's not going to work. I'm going to start on the inside, work my way out, and then you're going to influence someone else, and we're going to get them, and we're going to spread like like an infection all over this world until eventually we get more and more and more and more. And do you know what we'll be like? We'll be like salt of the earth. We'll preserve the earth in a way. We're going to make it new. That's the promise of Scripture, and we get to be partners with that. Because of salvation, we get to be partners and making things new. This is why we don't turn from helping the earth. We work to better the earth. Well, God's just gonna scrap it one day. No, he calls us to take care of it to renew. That's what Jesus did. So I'm having this conversation with my son, and somewhere in there he goes, like, Well, doesn't he say there's like not gonna be a son, or there's not gonna be like well, I said, absolutely, it'll be different. It'll be different. We won't need the sun. The scriptures say because God will be light. And listen, I don't know what that looks like. When I try to like be like get, get into my scientific nerdy mind, I'm like, oh, what does that mean? It just means I don't understand the complexity of eternal life. But history has an end game that all evil will be eradicated, and all evil in me. And so all the things that still hinder me and hold me back, and I get stuck on, I fall short in. The scriptures declare, well, you've been saved and you're being saved, but don't wait. One day I will return and you will be saved and set free from all sin and all evil, and all injustice. And so will all creation. How does this enable me to stand? Because when I'm faced with the evil in my life and around my life, when the enemy tries to deceive me and attack me and bring deceptive words into my mind and get me through relationships i can look him in the eye and i can say that salvation reminds me that one day this will be no more the struggle i face will be no more the temptation i face will be gone this valley that i'm <laughs> trying to get through this this hardship one day he's going to return he's going to make it new that is why that is why when believers are in prison they can praise That is why some believers can stand with their heads about to get chopped off and still hold on to their faith. Because they can say, it's okay, because he's going to make everything new. So how do I take a stand against this spiritual enemy? I put on this helmet of salvation. It reminds me of my good standing in Christ, because of Christ, not of me, because of him. It reminds me that even though I am still make mistakes and I still trip up, I'm working with the Spirit of God in me to become more like Jesus. And it reminds me that even I, in this world I will face trouble, but I can thank God that He's overcome the world, that I will be saved from all this, and so will all those who belong to Christ. We cannot take a stand against our spiritual enemy without salvation. We cannot take a stand in the struggles without a reminder of salvation. I don't know if you've noticed this, but each piece of equipment points to Jesus. It points to Christ. It would have been, for the early readers, they would have been reminded of the divine war in Isaiah 59. But as much as this is God's armor, I feel like it's God himself. The belt, the truth, is Jesus. Jesus is the truth. The breastplate, righteousness of God, is Jesus. I'm I'm made righteous because of Jesus. The gospel shoes, the peace, is Jesus. The, The face shield is Jesus. Salvation is Jesus. And that is why Paul says, in this struggle, you need to stand firm in the Lord and in his mighty power. I don't clothe myself with metaphorical equipment. I I get in proximity to a person. Jesus, he is the way to salvation, the scriptures declare. He is salvation. No one gets to the Father except through him. That's a hard pill for some of our world to swallow. Not my truth, it's his truth. But thank God he's loving and he's caring and he went to the cross and says you can't make a way there but I'm going to make a way for you. I care about you so much. I love you so much that I want you to be left in your sin. I'm going to make a way. All you got to do is look to the cross. That's it. And when you truly gaze upon the cross and it hits your heart, there's something transforms inside of you. Am I right? You say thank God for that. I'll do anything for that. I'll give my life for that. I'll follow you for that because I know what you've saved me from. Thank you, Jesus. This is why we take communion. We remember what he did, does, and will do for us. And maybe you're here today and you're listening and you've never put your trust in Jesus. Maybe you're in the house, maybe in the house and you've never committed your life to Christ as Lord and Savior. Maybe you're online and you're listening and you're watching. You've never made a true confession of faith. You've never looked at Jesus and said, I will follow you. We want to give you a chance today. So would you bow your heads in the house? Today is the day that you can make that confession and ask Jesus into your life. So here's what I want you to do. If that's you today, I just want you to repeat this prayer with us. We're going to pray a prayer. It goes like this. Would you repeat this after me? Dear Jesus, I confess that I'm a sinner in need of salvation. Forgive me of my sins and make me new. Come into my life and be my Lord and lead me to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you truly meant that, then this first part of salvation that we talked about, I am saved, you are saved. The Bible says there's more celebration in heaven over the one who returns, the one who gets saved. And so if you're here today in-house or online and you made that decision today to follow Christ, to give your life to him, there's a party happening in heaven. That's something to celebrate. And that's the beginning of the journey. And now we journey towards becoming more like Christ and letting him renew us by day, day by day. If that's you today and you, and you truly made that, here's what I want you to do. Before you leave today, I want you to grab that card from the chair in front of you and just let us know you made that decision because we want to come alongside you and help you. If you're online, I want you to go online to weareparkway.com and click on the connect card and do the same. Let us know you made that decision because we can help you in the journey ahead. I want to I message you. I want to reach out to you. I want to help you. But here's what I want us to do today. I want us to take communion together. I think it's important as we talk about salvation that we reflect and look to the cross, amen? We remember what Jesus did. So would you grab those emblems together? These are just symbols. Symbols of the reality that was accomplished for us on the cross. Communion serves to remind us of what Jesus did in taking away our sin. It it reminds us of what he's doing Communion reminds us of what he's doing. He's making me more like himself. He's renewing me day by day. And it reminds me of what he will do. I take communion and I remember the cross. And I have hope that one day he will return and usher in eternity. And all the hardship and all the difficulty and all the struggle, the day of evil that we face will be no more, thank God. And so I take the bread and I drink the cup and I say, thank you, Christ, for the sacrifice you made. And so if you have this little communion cup, I want you to take that bread from the top, that wafer, and that is just a symbol of the body that he gave. We do not believe that this is his actual body. It's a symbol of something. And we take together and we remember the sacrifice Jesus made. Would you take this with me this morning? thank you, Jesus, for salvation. Thank you that you gave your life. You gave your body. You hung on a cross for our sins to free us, God, from the power that sin has over our lives. We thank you. In the same way, I want you to take that juice and this represents the blood that he shed. that The life force that he gave. His life for hours, his blood for ours. Church, because of Christ, we don't need to make animal sacrifices. We don't need to make atonement for our sins. It's been done. It's been accomplished. Stop trying to stop trying to make a way for salvation. Listen, you work out salvation in the sense that you reflect on Christ and his life and you use sense try to imitate him. But you can't work. Salvation into being for you. You can't do something that's going to save you. No amount of serving in the church, no amount of giving, no amount of good deeds is going to say, God's going to go, okay, that was good. That was enough. Now you're saved. That's not how it works. We serve because we've been changed, but we don't serve to be saved. The blood of Christ saved me. The blood of Christ wipes away my sin, covers my sin. I've been saved because of the sacrifice he made. Would you take the cup and remember with me? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. I pray, God, that as we take this together and as we look to the cross, that in each of our minds and in our hearts, we'd be truly reflecting on, Lord, the magnitude of that sacrifice and what that's done for us. And God, even in my own mind, in my own heart, I don't truly understand the, the magnificent of it all, the enormity of it all, but I, I pray, God, that each of us would know because of our our decision to follow you, because of the work of the Spirit in me and regenerating my heart and drawing me to yourself, God, because I follow after you, because we choose God to work out our salvation. Lord, we are we have been saved and we're being saved and we will be saved. We thank you for salvation that we can that we can put on ourselves, God, to protect us from the enemy. And so I pray for each of us who are struggling and going through difficulty, Lord, we're going through situations. We, we have a day of evil that Paul talks about upon us. I pray that we would be mindful of what salvation has done and that would keep us standing firm as he brings, as the enemy brings a storm against us. Keep us strong in the Lord and in your mighty power, God. In Jesus' name we pray. I pray you bless everyone here today, God. You know every situation. You know every person pray in Jesus' name that you would move and breathe and have your being in each of our lives as only you can. In Jesus' name. And everyone said...
0: Thank you so much for listening. We hope that this message brought you closer with Jesus and gave you a better understanding of your walk with Him today. If you would like to know more about who we are as a church, you can visit our website, weareparkway.com. You can also like us on Facebook Facebook and follow us on Instagram at parkway.church.